Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I think we'll pray, pray, pray into this statement that we've been singing to make it a little bit more personal even. But can we just pray, Lord, anything within me, within my life, within my heart, anything that I'm carrying, God, that's not of you, Lord, break it away. Break it off and break it out. Lord, we, we, we stand before you today and our hearts cry as you led us this morning, God, is to make room for you, to make room for you, Lord, in anything, anything that's taken place in our hearts and our minds and our lives in any way, God, that does not belong there, that's taking up room, God, that doesn't belong there, that, Lord, we just lay that at your feet and we just ask you right now, Lord, to remove those things from us, God, remove those things just bring healing. I just pray you release healing, Lord. You fill those empty rooms now with your presence. Release your healing hand, God, in those areas that need healing in Jesus' name. Let minds that were once consumed, God, with fear and worry and anxiety or whatever it may be, Lord, may they be May they now be filled with your perfect peace, your peace that, God, is beyond our understanding. God, let those hearts and minds just be filled with peace, God. Where heaviness, God, once once seemed like it was just taking over, God, and just like a cloud was consistent there, Lord, just let your joy now, let your joy, the joy of the Lord, let it now fill that place, Lord, and let it be their strength in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We make room for you, God. Let our hearts, let our lives, let everything, let our thoughts, God, let let everything, God, be filled with you. Let it be pleasing to you, God. May our lives truly be, truly be a living sacrifice, God, a vessel for your glory. We submit to you, God. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you have your way in this house this morning, God, through the preaching of your word. Your word is living and it's active and it's powerful. And as we sit, God, in your word this morning, Lord, let that word penetrate each of our hearts, God, in the way that you need it to. Let it strengthen, let it guide, let it instruct, let it correct, God. Let your word fulfill its purposes. We just, Jesus, we say yes to you and we say yes to your word, that your word would fulfill its purpose in each one of our hearts as we sit tentative and expectative, God, with an expecting attitude to hear from you today, Lord. We yield to you. Jesus, we love you, we honor you, and we give you all of our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just give the Lord a praise offering and thank him for his presence and what he's doing and just making room. Amen. So uh, I'm curious. Here we are at the pretty much the end of the month of January, and I'm wondering, how are your New Year's resolutions going? We're going to pass the mic around. No, no, we're not. (laughs) This is usually about the time, well, actually, it's before now that people either decide, yep, I'm going to do it, or no, I'm not. So let me encourage you. If one of your resolutions was, I'm going to read the Bible through this year, and by about January 5th, you're like, man, I'm five chapters behind already. So I got to wait till next January. No, you don't. You know what? The Bible app is smarter than all of us. 
Because if you get the Uversion app on your phone, it will let you start your reading plan whenever you want. So if you decide to start now, praise the Lord. You can start reading through the scriptures and you'll just finish towards the end of January next year. No sweat. You know, I, I used to have these cards that I'd put in my Bible and you'd read these passages and they, they, didn't, they didn't forgive you. If you didn't start on January 1st, you were behind. So they've realized that not everybody is as good as you hope they would be. Don't give up on reading through the Word this year. Okay? That's an encouragement. You may have given up on the weight loss resolution. You may have given up on the watch less sports resolution. Or maybe it's watch more sports. I, I usually don't hear that one, but anyway. So don't let that stop you, okay? I'm just going to throw something out there. I have been for several years reading chronologically through the Bible. And while it does start in Genesis, it takes you... Now, I'm in the book of Job right now because it's one of the older books of the Old Testament. So it's an interesting way to see Scripture as opposed to just reading front to back. The story's good, but it's nice to see it how it unfolds. Just an idea, okay? So this morning, we are going to hang out in Psalm 33. So if you can find that, in case you need to know where that's at, it's right after Psalm 32. If that helps you, I know, not much help. Old Testament, about in the middle. <laughs> Page 630, no, that won't help. So, I don't know if you pick up on the fact that many of the Psalms, in fact, most of the Psalms start with this little thing at the very top, like it'll say, a Psalm of David, or for the music director from David. But you skip those, it seems like, right? You think, oh, that's just somebody's notes. No, actually, in the Hebrew Bible, that's verse 1. So when you see that above a psalm, that's actually part of the psalm. It explains what it's about. Well, if you look at the top of Psalm 33, what do you see there? Nothing. Ooh. I think there's only four psalms that don't have that superscription above them. So that got me thinking. You know, I wonder, maybe Psalm 32 and Psalm 33 belong together. And sure enough, they do. Or I wouldn't bring it up. So I want to read for you from the uh, Tree of Life version. Okay? Psalm 32. And you can follow along if you'd like. But Psalm 32 actually says, of David, and yours may say a miscal. I don't know if it says that. I had to look that one up. A contemplative song. So Tree of Life helps us there. So here's, here's how it starts. This is David, and what you have to get in mind here is David is telling us that we should sing and rejoice because we are forgiven. I'm thankful for David. 
in the Bible. Because I can see where God can take a man, but I can also see here's a guy that's seriously messed up. And God still used him. He said, this is a man after my heart. I love David. So on those days when I have messed up, I go read David. <laughs> Psalm 51 is a good one to read. But just take comfort in the fact that the Bible is not full of, well, he did really, really well stories. The Bible is full of, he really messed up stories. And you know what? God still uses those people in spite of the messing up. I think that's, that's an encouragement to me. I don't know if it is to you, but it should be. Don't let the circumstances of your life drag you to the place where you say, I'm not usable by God anymore. Just look at David. Perfect example. Okay, I'm going to read Psalm 32 to get us ready. Because here's what's happened to David. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is pardoned. Blessed is the one whose guilt, Adonai, does not count. So, Tree of Life substitutes, like, like a good Hebrew text, would substitute the word Adonai for the, the covenant name of God. We say Jehovah, which is a terrible translation. It, in the Hebrew are the letters yod Hey vav Hey. We say Jehovah. But in Hebrew, they will not pronounce that name. That's the unpronounceable name of God. And in fact, we don't really know how to pronounce it. So rather than mispronounce it, they substitute another name. So you'll see Adonai used there. Yours may say Lord. So verse 2. Blessed is the one whose guilt Adonai does not count, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle through my groaning all day long. Man, does, does David sound like he's reading your playbook? For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the droughts of summer. And then he says, Selah. Think about this. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not hide my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to Adonai and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And again he says, Selah. Think about this. So let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. When great floodwaters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from distress. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And again, he says, Selah. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will give counsel. My eye is on you. We're going to come back to that thought at the end of the message today. Verse 9, do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding and must be held in with bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but loving kindness, that's a huge word we'll talk about today, surrounds the one who trusts in Adonai. Be glad in Adonai and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy all who are upright in heart. See what he's doing? He is transitioning from... I need forgiveness to I'm going to praise the Lord. And that's what Psalm 33 is all about. I'm going to praise the Lord. 
This is the song that we are to sing. I think these song, two psalms are so intimately connected that that's why there's no superscription above Psalm 33. It's just like one story rolls into the next one. <sighs> to me, I, I get off thinking about weird things, but there are 22 verses in Psalm 33. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Hmm. Do you know of a psalm where God uses that technique? It's a big one. Psalm 119. You see, above each of like eight verses, you see Aleph, Bait, and so on. That's an acrostic to help the people remember what that psalm was about. So in this psalm, there are 22 letters like there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So, finally, we made it to Psalm 33. So, I'm curious, what does your translation have as the first word of verse 1? Sing. No, shout. Rejoice. Okay, joy. So, I used New American Standard. That's the one I like. And it has sing. Okay. The Hebrew word there is renan, which is not sing. I don't understand why they use that word. It's shout. Shout for the Lord. For joy is in the Lord, O oh, you righteous ones. What's a righteous one? Somebody that has a right relationship with God. That's a righteous one. And then it says, praise is becoming to the upright. This is in my translation. And I got, I got stuck right there. Praise. What does he mean, praise? Is, is what we did this morning praise? Sure. Do you have to have a drummer? and a guitarist, and a bass player, and a wonderful keyboardist. <clears throat> you all say no, but how many times have you just sat, and I was going to do this, but I thought, oh, for the sake of the people that are watching online, I'm not going to do this. Just sit here and contemplate the glory of God. Can you do it? With no music, can you just sit in the quiet space and let God talk to you? Because that's where he inhabits your praise. Isn't that quiet? We do not have to have music, do we? It's, it's a great addition to what we do to glorify God, but it's not required. Well, think about it. If you go to a different church tradition that's very liturgical, will it look like what we just did here this morning? Absolutely not. If you go to a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church, their liturgy is pretty well set. You don't deviate from that. You don't do a song five and six times because you're glorifying God. So what does praise really, really look like? 
I was asking myself that question. And there's, there is a praise song that goes back. This is probably one of the first praise songs that's recorded. It's called the Foss Hilleron. And Foss is spelled P-H-O-S, Foss Hilleron. It goes back to the believers of about the third century. So I'm going to read it to you in English. It, it was written in Greek, and that's how they sang it. So imagine, imagine believers probably hiding away for fear of their life. And they're singing this praise song to God. Okay? So here's, here's the Foss Hilleron. Hail, gladdening light of his pure glory poured, who is the immortal Father, heavenly blessed, holiest of holies, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we are come to the sun's hour of rest. The lights of evening round us shine. We hymn the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit divine. Worthiest art thou at all times to be sung with undefined tongue, Son of our God, giver of life alone, therefore in all the world thy glory's Lord, thine own. That's the Foss Hilleron. That's what they sang as they gathered together. I, I could see, actually, Passion, Passion Conference, Louis Giglio's church, they use this every year. That's where I first heard about it. Man, I want to know that. I want to know how they sung it. I mean, it was in Greek, but how they sing that. So, you know, your, your idea of what praise might look like could be very different from somebody else's. But they're both praise to our God. See, I already got stuck in the first verse because I want to know what praise is all about. <sighs> music, if you watch any movie, the music will probably lead you to some emotional experience, right? Bum, 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 bum. Already you've got in your mind what? Star Wars and Darth Vader is coming, and it's not going to be pretty. All I had to do was bump a bump, and you figured out what I was talking about. Music will lead you to places, but music alone, music alone is not worship necessarily, is it? Because if it was, every Beatles song would be a worship song. Some people may say they are. <laughs> We do not need music. We do not need comfy seats and air conditioning. The, the early believers had neither. So in my background, our church started a little church in a town south of, of where I grew up on the Mississippi River. And in fact, this town is called Fruitland. What a descriptive name of a town. The Mississippi changed course. And so where this town is located is this wonderful sand bed where they grow all kinds of vegetables, but especially watermelon and muskmelon. 
Muscatine Island melons is what they're called. If you ever see that, they're some of the best to me around. I know Indiana has great watermelons. but So we started a church down in this little town of Fruitland. And the place where we started it was in a sweet potato shed. It's where they stored sweet potatoes. It wasn't very glamorous, and it kind of smelled like sweet potatoes. There were holes in the wall. We had a potbelly stove in the winter, so it wasn't warm. We had hand-me-down seats from some other church, none of which matched. And we had church <laughs> in that little building. You know, you think... Meeting in a sweet potato shed? How can you praise God? How can you not? That's what David is saying is in Psalm 33 is let me show you how to praise. So I'm still stuck on praise. Um, several years ago, I, I did a, a teaching on what I call the seven Hebrew words of praise. And so I got thinking about it because I, want to, I went to the Hebrew, I want to see what word was used here, but let me, let me do you a quick summary of those seven words. The first word is todah, which is extending the hands in adoration and acceptance with thanksgiving to agree with what's been done or will be done to give yourself over to the authority of God. Is a stretching out of the hand and we're not at all ashamed of stretching our hands to God, are we? I've been in some churches where I raise my hand and people are looking at me like, where'd you come from? And I say, I got the Holy Spirit inside. I got to show it. I'm not at all ashamed to raise my hand. That's the word todah. The next word is very similar, yada. And it's not yoda, it's yada. But it's throwing out the hand with force. It's, it's almost like you've got a praise machine that's like this. A Gatling gun, praise. That's yada. Now I'm doing it with force. And the, then the, the next one is the word halal. Do you know this word? Okay. Do you know the word hallelujah? Okay. That's the root. Halal is to praise in an almost undignified manner. David was described that way. I will become even more undignified than this. So my favorite psalm that uses the word halal, hallelujah, is Psalm 150. And here's the word halal. Every single verse has it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Is that the word that's used here when it says praise? Actually, no, it isn't. But I get wound up when I start thinking about what it's like to praise God. Hallelujah. So in that long list in Psalm 150, there's a, there's a marginal note in my Bible that adds the word and cowbell. <laughs> that was for you, Scott. <laughs> we don't have to stick with the instruments that's in the list in the Bible, right? If we did, we wouldn't have any of these. That's just what they had available. Okay, the fourth word. Shabak is a shout. It's to command triumph. And it's totally uninhibited. Notice not a single one of those praise words has said anything about music. Until we get to this one, zamar. And that's to play skillfully upon stringed instruments. This is what David did. And he also sang. But praise starts with toda. And yada, stretching out the hand, saying, here I am, fill me, Lord. I want to be your praise instrument. The sixth one is barak, which literally means to kneel or to bow. And I've, I've showed you this before, but this is the only way, this is the only way, now I've got to get back up. Um, when you're in this position, where is your heart? It's above your head. You're at a place where now your heart has overruled your mind, and you say, I am going to, I'm going to give up all the things that are buzzing around inside here and just listen to what the Spirit's saying. And now I do have to get up. Okay, that's Barak. The last word in this list is the word tehillah. Not tequila, tequila. <laughs> and this is the word that's used here in verse 1. It's an unrehearsed, spontaneous song. It's a burst of praise following silence. It's a natural song from a supernatural source. It brings us to the fear of the Lord. And to me, one of the best examples is Jehoshaphat. When he sent his army out, who did he put out in front? He put the choir. He didn't put all the guys with the machine guns. That's a terrible military strategy, but it's a pretty good biblical strategy because you put the praisers out front and they clear the way for God to work. And it, it worked. Sign me up for the choir. I want to be out in front. So the, finally, we get to praise. It's the word tehillah. And the literal meaning of the word is to reflect. To reflect. We've had some nice cold mornings. We drive by through the bluegrass area a lot of little lakes. And when it's cold the lakes kind of freeze over. I mean, around here, lakes really don't freeze that much. I grew up in Iowa, and lakes freeze there. Uh, when it's, you know, 20 below and stays that way for weeks and weeks, the water gets frozen. You can walk on it. You can drive on it. I wouldn't do that here. 
But have you ever, have you ever noticed any, on, on a calm lake or on an ice-covered lake, what do you see? A perfect reflection of what's above. And that's the word tehillah. We are called to be a reflection of him. That's what that kind of praise, tequila praise, looks like. Okay. So, my, my method of praising, my best method is I sit down at the piano, there's nobody else around, and I just let the Spirit drive me to where he wants me to go. And I can spend an hour playing absolutely nothing, but yet praise him in that whole time. So you look at the keys on the piano and the keyboard, and I'm gonna start at middle C. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, when you get to this next note, it's called an octave. You get a brand new start when you get to eight. Seven is complete. Eight is brand new. And you start all over again. To me, that's part of what praise is like. Look at David. He had to start over so many different times. But God said, good. Good. I'm glad you are. Do not stay where you're at. You need to change. And I will use you. So this, I believe, truly is a Psalm of David. And this is what we see here. We see eight. A new beginning. In the, in the days of creation, we had seven days. God rested on the seventh day. And then what? The eighth day, it all started anew. Verse 2. <laughs> we are to give thanks. And this word is the word yada. Back through my list earlier. That's, that's like the machine gun Praiser. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. The, the Hebrew word there for, for lyre is kinor. Uh, if, if you've ever been to Israel or you've seen pictures of the Sea of Galilee, it is called the Lake of Kinneret. Same word. And that comes from the fact that it is shaped like what a lyre would be. So just, just for fun, I went, I went back and looked at what did music look like, sound like, with a lyre. It is absolutely nothing like this. You've got a, a ten-stringed instrument, and the, the player is plucking the strings, and then he's got a tool that you drag over the strings. And it sounds really non-musical. <laughs> if you've ever heard Arabic music, that's, that's the sound. That was their praise music of the time. So David says here, give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. 
and then sing praises, that's the word zamar. So you see, we've made this progression and we have yet to pick up an instrument till we got to the lyre. And he says to sing praises with a harp, you know what a harp looks like. The harps in the day looked a little bit different, but it says with 10 strings. Well, have you ever looked at a harp? It's got more than 10 strings, doesn't it? <laughs> so, in, in the Talmud, which is a, a collection of writings from the rabbis over the years, one of the rabbis said this. He said that the, the harp that is used in the temple had seven strings. In the days when Messiah rules on the earth, the harp will have eight strings. And when we get to the new heavens and the new earth and we're praising for eternity, he says that harp will have ten strings. I don't know where he got this. But what it made me think is, as David is writing here, he is thinking ahead not only to what he was doing that day, but thinking ahead to when that new heaven and new earth comes. I think it's a prophetic word right there. And this verse also has Ann Cowbell added, just in case you wondered. So verse 3, it says, sing to him a new song. Sometimes you sing songs, and it doesn't have, you sing words that aren't there. I, I don't know how many songs that I've heard on the radio over the years, and I know what I was singing. And then you go look at the lyrics, and it's, really? <laughs> That's what they were singing? <laughs> okay, so that might be singing a new song, but that's not what the verse means. Sing a new song. I have never written a worship song, but I think just me sitting quietly, meditatively thinking about who God is can be a worship song. Has no words, has no music. Does it please my God? Absolutely, it does. So he says, sing a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. So at, at the, um, there's, there's three fall celebrations that, that the Jews celebrate. So you've got Rosh Hashanah, and then you've got Yom Kippur, and then you've got Sukkot, Feast of Booths. But that first day of the month of Tishrei is also called Yom Teruah, the day of the blowing of the trumpets. And on that day, a trumpet will be blown 100 times over the course of the day. The word that's used here is the word terawah, shout of joy. Psalm 100, verse 4. You know this one. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, todah. And into his courts with praise, tehillah. Give thanks, yada. To him and praise 
Barak, his name. Worship of our God is not just, oh, okay, I'm going to get up here and sing. It is so multifaceted that we spend our entire life trying to understand how to do it. And I think that's what God wants. He doesn't want necessarily it to, well, I'm, I come into church, we sing three hymns, and we sing three verses of those hymns. You know, growing up, we had a hymnal, and I will tell you, we never sang verse three. We had four verse hymns. <laughs> I didn't know verse three to most of the songs that we sung. I don't know why. You know, Baptist tradition is you sing one, two, and four. Okay. So when I sang verse three, it was a new song. <laughs> so verse four, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. The word upright, the word yashar, means straight. That same word was used at the end of verse 1. Praise is becoming to the straight. If you're in Israel and you've got just a little bit of ability to speak Hebrew and you ask where something important is, like where are the bathrooms, and they say yashar, that means straight ahead. It may not be exactly straight, but you kind of get the idea. Straight is what Adonai's word to us is. So here, here David says the word of the Lord is straight, and all his work is done in faithfulness. The Hebrew word there is emunah, from which we get the word amen. So be it. So David says the word of the Lord is upright, it's straight, and, the word of, and his work is done in faithfulness. Amen. And then he draws a parallel here in, in verse 5. He says, he, God, Jehovah, Yahweh, yod heh loves righteousness, and justice. And you think, well, that's kind of harsh, maybe. He loves righteousness and justice. But what the psalmist has done is he's drawn a parallel here between verse 4, where he has, says, upright and faithful, and in verse 5, he says, righteous and just. To me, the word righteous means that you have a right relationship. But interesting to me, in the synagogue, they have a box where you put your offerings in. It's called the tzedakah box. That's where the offering goes, and that's the word. It's the box of righteousness. It's where you give your tithes and your offerings. So he loves righteousness and he loves justice. When somebody does us bad, we love justice, right? Somebody picks on you at school and you want justice. You pick on somebody else and you want 
grace. <laughs> you want mercy. And I'm not pointing at anybody in the front row. <laughs> I'm just saying, in my past, I've experienced that. We want justice when we've been wronged. We don't want it when we're the giver of the, the dirty deed. God says, I love righteousness. I love that right relationship that we can have. And I love justice. It's two pieces of his nature. And they can't be separated. And then the psalmist says, the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. I don't know what your translation says here. This to me is one of the most important words that is ever used in Hebrew. It is the word hased. And no one English word will translate this. So let me give you some words that do. Mercy, enduring active love, steadfastness, devotion, grace, loyalty, tenderness. All of those, all of those terms are wrapped up in the Hebrew idea of chesed, loving kindness. God does for us what we do not deserve. Right? That's grace. And he doesn't give us what we deserve, and that's mercy. So the earth is full of the loving kindness that has said of the Lord. Okay. Psalmist is going to change directions now. And he says in verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. <laughs> who created the world? Depends on who you ask. If you watch very many PBS specials, you'll find out the world wasn't created. It was a giant cosmic explosion. Billions and billions of years ago. That's like blowing up a bomb in a building full of paper and books appear. It's that same stupid mindset, I'm sorry. It, it doesn't work. God created, God spoke, and the world came into being. Right? I mean, that's what I believe, that's what the Bible says. You might say it was 6,000 years ago. If you're Jewish, this is year 5784. That's how many years it's been since the creation of the world. Maybe you say, oh no, it's 10,000 years. Or you might say it's a million years. I don't care. We can talk about that. But, but the Bible says he created. And in fact, in, in Colossians 1, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then John 1.3. This is the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 3, it says, All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing, nothing, let me say that again, nothing came into being that has not come into being without him. So here in verse 6, the psalmist is saying, the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. 
Verse 7, he says, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. If you think back to the creation story, does this sound like day two? But I think it's far more than that. I think here what David is saying is that back in that Red Sea experience, what did God do? For the children of Israel, for them to cross, this is incredible. Do you believe the word? I do. That's what it says. It said he took the waters, he split them apart. Right? You got a wall of water, you got a wall of water, a heap of water. <laughs> That's what it says. He heaped up the waters, and the Israelites could pass through on dry ground. And then what happened? The waters collapsed around the Egyptian army. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and on the the bed of the Red Sea, they find chariot wheels. Guess what really happened? <laughs> so, here I got thinking about, I get really sidetracked when I start studying, um, and I should start sooner, because I get really sidetracked. Um, but the Red Sea experience in, in the book of Exodus um, there is this wonderful, wonderful praise song. After the children of Israel were, were spared from the chasing Egyptian army, in Exodus 15, you see a song that's written by Moses, and towards the end of it, you see that Aaron and Miriam join in. <laughs> I preached a message about this passage of Scripture many years ago, and my good friend Virgil Buttram was here. He's in heaven now. But every Sunday after I preached that message, he came back to me and he said, the horse and the rider were cast into the sea. That stuck with him of God's faithfulness in taking care of his people. Okay, so if you look at, um, uh, let's see, um, verse 20. Yeah, let's do verse 20. And Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, was Pentecostal, and she took a tambourine in her hand. And she praised the Lord. Now, she didn't just praise the Lord. She praised the Lord. So, I can't use the mic and do this, but if you can imagine, right, a tambourine, and spinning around, praising the Lord, and then, just imagine, she goes into, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He saved my body. He saved my mind. And I went into the enemy's camp. And I took back what the enemy stole from me. Can you imagine that praise service? What that was like? Man, I wanted to be there. Look what the Lord has done. That's what... 
To me, that's what, what praise looks like. I don't know that there was music, but there was rejoicing. When he, God, put the waters into a heap. And then it says, he lays up the deeps in storehouses. This is the word for clouds. Where does, where does water go? Well, we've had quite a bit come out of the clouds the last few days, weeks. That hydrologic cycle, that water stays in clouds and the clouds are moved somewhere else, is pretty ingenious. I didn't come up with it. God did. Have you ever flown through a cloud on an airplane? You get this up about every couple seconds. Those clouds are very, very dense. In fact, they weigh tons. How does that water stay up there? God. <laughs> he designed the cycle and he moves the water to where it needs to be. So the psalmist says, he takes the water and he puts it in a storehouse up in the clouds and then he moves it somewhere else and it falls to the earth, comes back up in evaporation, it goes into a cloud and it moves somewhere else. That's my God. So in verse 8 he says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Or let all the earth have an awareness of my God. Fear of God to me is not so much that I'm afraid of what he's going to do. It's my fear that I'm going to do something that disappoints him. That to me is the fear of God. That I look at my life and I say, oh my goodness, I'm like David again. That to me is the fear of God. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Okay, we're in a season right now in the United States. And in fact, quite a bit of the world is going to be electing new leaders. So we need to be in prayer about that. And I don't care what your political leaning is, but some people think we've got a disaster coming if this certain leader gets in. And some people think we've got a disaster coming if this certain leader gets in. It all depends on your leading. Guess who's in control? God. It may not look like the way you want it to look. I'm sorry. God has sometimes way different plans than what I have. And so, in verse 10, it says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. But, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands, how long? Forever. So imagine, so I had to draw these pictures when I was in school. And they were sort of 3D, Right? where you, you look like it's uh, going out to infinity. Right? You draw the lines so that they converge 
and, and you, you get the impression that somewhere out there is the end of the world. That's what he's talking about forever. That vanishing point on that picture that you cannot see. He plans, he, God, plans of his heart from generation to generation. So if you want a verse to put on your refrigerator, I provided one. Well, my wife provided one on the cover of the bulletin today from Psalm 33. I know the person that does the bulletin. We have kind of a special relationship. And I said, I want this on the cover. And she said, why? Because <laughs> well, I said so. No. <laughs> so if you want a, a refrigerator hanger, there's one on the cover of your bulletin this week. But what I'm thinking is that there are so many verses in this psalm that you could put on post-it notes and put it up on the mirror of your of your bathroom. Or put them up on your refrigerator. There are so many deep, deep promises from God, and this is one of them. Verse 12. Blessed, happy, to be rejoicing is the nation whose God is the Lord. This was a promise to Israel, but I truly believe it's a promise to us. Blessed, is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people that he has chosen for his own inheritance. I'm chosen. I was an orphan. Not literally. But God said, I choose you. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It don't make any sense. But I'm chosen. <laughs> And it says, the people whom he has chosen for his inheritance. And now in these next few verses, you see a progression of God looking out. Verse 13, the Lord looks. The Hebrew there, Navat, is to flow forth or to gush from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. Verse 14, from his dwelling place, he looks out. This is, this is one of those, to me, really interesting Hebrew words. It's the, the word shagak. And from that, we get the word for a crazy person. <coughs> Seen the movie Rain Man? Or do you know somebody that they got one thing? <laughs> That's it. They know one thing. They don't talk about anything else. They don't think about anything else. They got one thing. Some people define that as crazy. This is that word, to look intently, to see one thing. Wow, should that describe us? To see one thing. Jesus only. <sighs> he fashions the hearts of them all who understands all their works. And here's a commentary on military might. Back in the day, he who had the most horses and chariots won the battle. Pretty much a given. Today, he that has the most horsepower probably wins the battle. 
David is saying in this psalm, the king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. When we think we got it covered, we probably don't. I can do this, God, I got it. Never mind. Yeah, right. <sighs> verse 18. Here's another one of those verses I put on a post-it note and put it up on the mirror. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope for his loving kindness. Chesed. Enduring love, steadfastness, grace, mercy, loyalty. All those are in that word on those who hope for his loving kindness to do what? Deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. And now as we finish up the psalm, the psalmist is writing as, as if he was talking to all the people. Let me encourage you to do something. Substitute my, I, as we look at these last couple of verses. In verse 20, it says, my soul waits for the Lord. He is my help and my shield. For my heart rejoices in him because I trust where? In his holy name. Make it personal. Don't just say, well, that applies to everybody. Yeah, it does. But it applies to me. Make the word of God personal to you. And then it becomes what? Personal to you. Don't just blow through verses like this and not realize how much he loves you. And then verse 22, it says, and this is really the only petition in this entire psalm. It says, let your loving kindness, your chesed, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Let your loving kindness, your grace, your mercy, your steadfast love, your abiding love, your enduring love, let all those things be on us as your kids. See, this is a really strong psalm in response to David's need for forgiveness. So, there's a couple places. I'm not going to play it, I guess. There's a couple places... Uh, in this psalm where, where David refers to the eye. And it got me thinking about a song. I had the privilege many years ago to sing with a group called uh, Gospel Night at the Philharmonic. It was a 300 voice choir from churches all across Evansville but at least half of the choir members were black. The choir leader was black. So I've sung hymns 
And then I sang hymns. <laughs> we got down and praised. We were right in the middle of a practice, and somebody fell out in the spirit. And all the orchestra members are, does he need an ambulance? No? He's okay. He's just in the presence of Jesus. It's no problem. So, man, I got, I got thinking about some of the verses in Revelation that talk about what worship's going to look like when we get to heaven. And Revelation 5, this is verse 8, he said, When he'd taken the book, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the, the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, and tongue, people, nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. Revelation 14 says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. And Revelation chapter 4. Verse 5, and the, from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire be burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second was like a calf. Third creature was like a had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like the flying eagle. These are pictures of the four groups of the tribes of Israel as they went out into the wilderness. And when they camped, four or three, 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 and three, 12 tribes, you looked at it from up above, it looked like a cross based on the size of the people in each of those tribes. That's what... what uh, John is, is describing here, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within, day and night they do not cease to say, what? Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. John's quoting from the Old Testament. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down. We see an awful lot of falling down when we stand before, kneel 
before our king. The word Barak. <laughs> who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and ever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy, worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things and because of thy will they existed and they were created. So when I was in gospel night, we sang a song that, like I said, I sang as a kid. But we just sang it out of the hymnal. It was like, yeah, whatever. Singing with a chorus of that size, singing with an orchestra, and singing with people that knew how to worship and praise, his eyes on the sparrow took on a brand new meaning. And Yvonne was cleaning out tapes, and she found recordings of gospel night performances. And we did this one. His eye is on the sparrow. So I'm, I'm going to read the words, because I, I don't have much of a voice left. So I, I'm just going to read them. So it may, if you know this hymn, just kind of reflect as I read this. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the chorus of this is so beautiful. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the third verse Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him from care, he sets me free, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. This praise song just speaks to my heart. And I wish I could sing it. You probably wish I didn't. Um, but what I want to do is I want us to praise the Lord. So I'm going to ask if Craig would come up. And I want to sing a song that, to me, it, as soon as I was getting ready for this, I'm thinking, okay, what song do we sing? And the song, let's stand, is how great is our God. This is a good old Chris Tomlin song that just speaks to my heart. How great is our God. If you got nothing else out of 
what we read in Psalm 33, know that God loves you, God has a plan for you, and he wants you to succeed, right? We've seen all these examples of how God uses things like the clouds and the walls of water, how he uses the armies of the world, and he brings them to naught. But wrapped up in all that is one word that I keep thinking over and over. Loving kindness, the word has said. We have a great and powerful God. And sometimes we get pretty hung up and, oh, woe is me. And you know how you can get out of that? Just start talking to him about who he is. Not what you need, but who he is. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches me. <laughs> how great, how great is our God. The loving kindness of the Lord lasts forever. And he loves you incredibly. If you don't have that right relationship, this is the day. This is the day. Do not leave here until you talk to somebody. He wants a clean heart and a clean hands. Just like what David prayed. How great, how great. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 